Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Andrew Muscoff here. Today I'm bringing you the second part of our live event that we held at the Tyneside Irish Centre on May the 25th. Now, hopefully, you've already heard part one with Newcastle United legend Alberto Solano. If you did, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you haven't, scroll back on your podcast app and take a listen. It is well worth an hour of your time. This part is made up of our panel of writers, our chief sports writer, Lee Ryder, and Newcastle United writer, Kieran Kelly, and Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes, and our two special guests, The Mirrors, Simon Bird, and BBC Radio Newcastle's Matthew Raysbeck. Everything is up for discussion. The Champions League qualification, how well Eddie Howe and his squad have done. We hand out awards for player of the season, goal of the season, and loads more. Uh, there's a Q&A as well at the end. And we really enjoyed being able to interact with the audience. We're hopefully going to do another one in August. We'll just say it was recorded, as I say, at the end of May. So before Newcastle took on Chelsea. Uh, so it was still up for discussion whether they would finish third or whether they would finish fourth. Of course, we know now no, they finished fourth. But anyway, bear that in mind. Hopefully you enjoy it. Leave us a rating and review as well on your podcast app. Thank you very much for tuning in. And please give that round of applause. Keep, keep it going for our panel. I'm going to introduce first on you, uh, Chief Sports Writer Lee Ryder. <laughs> Next up is our Newcastle United writer, Kieran Kelly. <laughs> Next up is our Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes. A lot of love for Aaron in the room there. A lot of love in the room for you there. Uh, next up is a man who has covered Newcastle for maybe the best part of 30 years. I can't see his face, so I hope I'm right with that guess. Please welcome the member Simon Bird. 20, sorry. And finally, please give a huge round of applause to BBC Radio Newcastle's Matthew Raysbeck, the voice of the commentary of, on match days. I'm going to do my best to roam around. Um, you may have already seen on social media that I did my hamstring yesterday playing on the pitch. These two survived, as did Lee and Kieran, but my hamstring went, so we'll see. I'm going to have to sit down in a wee while. But we'll start with going along the panel. I'll start with you, Lee. Um, in one word, just sum up this season. One word. Uh, I would say fantastic. Fantastic? I, I, I was wondering whether I'd swear there, but no. <laughs> I mean, that better for you? That's all good, yeah. Kieran? Remarkable. Aaron? Surreal. Birdie? Inspiring. Razor? Unforgettable. Unforgettable. I think we'd all go with the, the, those words, wouldn't we? <laughs> Lee, what did you expect from this season? Well, in the summer, we sat down with the manager, Eddie Howe, and a couple of the guys were here as well at uh, the training ground, and he basically put the question to us, didn't he? What, what, what do you think? And everyone, to a man, went around the table and probably said, mid-table, you know, top of the bottom half of the table or something like that. Um, cup run would be nice. Uh, so to get, you know, the cup final and into the Champions League is, is just absolutely unbelievable. So uh, those were the expectations at the start. Uh, but now we know the bar gets raised because Newcastle are... A Champions League club again, which sounds brilliant to say. 
and uh, next season's going to be a huge test so hopefully we'll make some good signings and Kieran, being in those press conferences with Eddie Howe, the pre-match ones, the post-match ones, when do you think for him it became something that is achievable to be in the Champions League? Do you think he never really let himself believe it, even when they just needed a point on Monday? Yeah, I think the Brighton game, maybe, he's that pragmatic. He probably was only then, he was like, okay, maybe we can actually do this. No, I, I think the, the interesting thing Lee mentioned there last summer when we, we had a little round table with them and two man, he asked us all and we all said top 10, couple round be great, as Lee said. And, he came back and said, interesting you picked league position. It was an interesting comment looking back. He, he was almost surprised we were all fixated on that. And I think it maybe reflects uh, the belief behind the scenes. They didn't go into the season with strict targets. I think privately it was about consolidating. It was about, you know, not having another relegation dogfight. How nice is that, by the way? Um, and they've just grown in belief. You know, you, you pick little markers through the season. That win at Spurs going back to October... They went into the top four after that win. I think they got a lot of belief from that. I look at that Nottingham Forest game away. You know, that, in hindsight, a real season-defining win. They went 1-0 down, rocking ground, uh, come back to win that game. I, I just think they, they all believed they could do something special. All of them would say to you they didn't think it was top four last summer, but, hey, they've done it. And one of the key moments in the season as well, Alan, I guess, is bouncing back from that Carabao Cup defeat because that is a, a key turning point. Newcastle's season in the weeks after that could have crumbled, you know, being defeated at Wembley, but they didn't. They, they stood up, they were counted, and, you know, they've got to where, where they are now, and that's Champions League football. Yeah, the thing that I find really interesting about Eddie Howe's time at Newcastle is that he's been here 18 months, and there hasn't really been a blip. Yes, they've had a couple of draws and a little bit of, you know, sort of poor results here and there but for the majority you know it's been plain sailing on the pitch and I think in modern football you've seen how many managers got sacked this season alone for him to do that you know pretty much from when he came it is quite remarkable and I think a lot of that you know togetherness and making sure that they don't go in slumps is because of the players Kieran Trippier you know for one make sure that dressing room is absolutely on point every single day um, but as you say the Carabao Cup defeat could have been a real sort of season-defining loss and they could have went on a really bad run and blown the top four. But um, you know with Eddie Howe in the dressing room, he's not going to let complac uh, complacency uh, you know, set in. And I think that's what we've seen at the back end of the season. And we, we saw that, Bird, as well, even in the post-match press conference on, on Monday. I think he was asked, Eddie Howe, you know, what's it like to get Newcastle to a top four? And his reply was something along the lines of, well, we haven't won anything yet. So he's not, he'll be happy, but he's not like celebrating that achievement because there's so much more he wants to achieve at Newcastle. Exactly. I think this is why fans trust Eddie Howe so much. He never gets carried away with the kind of, um, you know, the excitement or the, or the, or the you know, he could have lured it around Newcastle making big claims. He never does. He's so dedicated to his job, so dedicated to getting all the detail right that he never believes that it's actually going to happen. I think. I think they thought that, thought it might, but he never, never quite sort of would say it. Would he? We asked him to say, "Can you say Champions League now?" <laughs> he still wouldn't say the words Champions League um, on on Monday night. So he's an incredible, incredible manager. Um, he's so modest. He's so hardworking. Uh, I feel a bit sorry for him because he, I do wonder how, how, when when he gets time to step back and actually enjoy what he's achieved. Because I think he's so driven to try and achieve more and. And he knows if in, in football, if you take your eye off the ball for one second, it can it can crumble on this problems. So he doesn't take his eye off the ball. And I hope this summer he can somehow reflect on it and, and really enjoy the season that he's given everybody. 
And it's not just about Eddie Howe, is it, Razor? There's a whole backroom staff there that really kind of set the standards alongside him. You know, they've got Mad Dog Jason Tindall, who's been winding up a few opposition fans of late. Just how important is it that, you know, because when he got the nomination for Manager of the Year, he said, it's not just me, it is it? It's a team effort. And you, you kind of sense that in the squad as well. There's not an individual. It's all about the team and, I guess, everyone's united. Well, they're a close-knit bunch, aren't they? There's definite unity there. Uh, Eddie Howe tends to deflect whenever he gets praise and will we'll put it on to other people. But um, I think praise and adulation does make him a little bit uncomfortable at times. But actually, the relationship between the staff is really important. And they've been together a long time. And when Jason Tindall was the focus of all the attention a couple of weeks ago, Eddie Howe said that they'd been working together for about 15 years and they were kind of joint managers at Bournemouth. And that's how long the relationship goes back and actually probably longer in their playing careers. And, and that applies to some of the other coaches that came from Bournemouth. And Graham Jones is still there as well. And you all remember when Jones came in a few years ago that there was a bit of a difference and, and he had got the respect of the fans, even if the rest of the staff didn't really have that because of how things were going. He stayed on. And Jones had worked with Tyndall when he was manager at Bournemouth after Eddie Howe left. So there was already an existing relationship there. It's a really strong backroom team and they've added more and more to it as they've gone on, not just coaches, but other people in key roles behind the scenes because that was one area of Newcastle, one of many, that was lacking in terms of personnel, investment and expertise. And they needed to grow that in order to, to make the club ready to take the next steps, which they have done. And I'm sure that it won't be the end of the the growth and, and the additions to the backroom team. Because if you look at the other clubs at the top of the Premier League, they've got a cast of thousands. Newcastle's still relatively small in that regard. So while we'll be focusing on the, the player recruitment and, and who might leave over the summer, there'll be more going on behind the scenes as well. Yeah, more well, certainly. I just want to ask you, Reza, what has it been like? So you, you go home and away for the, for the radio and you, you, you know your clips tend to go a bit viral when the club chop them up and Ando as well alongside you. What has it been like this season? Oh, it's been great, hasn't it? Yeah, because you go to matches now looking forward to the game, but also believing that they will, they'll do well. Even if they don't win, it'll be a competitive game. It'll be a good match. They'll play good football. They'll wind the opposition up. Um, and it's, it's just fantastic. It's been a real joy. And, you know, during the, the lockdown period when, when fans couldn't go, it, it was awful, really. We were lucky enough to still go. And that was never lost on us, but the football was really terrible. So to go from that to what we have now in, in the space of a couple of years, it's an incredible uh, rate of transformation. But from our job, and, and this will apply to everyone else on the panel in the media, um, when Newcastle are doing well, when they're winning, when they're playing well, when they're having success, our jobs, our lives are easier, are better, because that's what we want to see. On the radio, we'll do the match, but we do it from Newcastle's perspective. So it's what it means for Newcastle, you know, a bit less about the opposition. And when the goals are going in, when they're achieving things, when they're playing good football, when the atmosphere is so good, it's just brilliant. And it does make it all, all easier. And, and well, we, we all can't wait for next season, can we? I did, Back in Europe. I did tweet after the Spurs game that, uh, that, I, that I hope BBC Radio Newcastle clip up some of Ando's just screams of joy that he's, that he's put over the, the, no, the it's, season. It's the chuckling, it's the laughter, because he tends to do it when they play Everton and Jordan Pickford concedes a goal because he's got a bit of a thing about Pickford. Um, but <laughs> uh, why is that? <laughs> 
you know why that is. But 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 the East, the Isak the Isak skill that led to Murphy's tapping um, was was another one that drew um, that drew well it drew laughter and guffawing from Ando. But um, just mentioning Murphy, you, know, you probably all heard the clip even if you didn't listen to the match at Watford just before the takeover. The, the oh, just put it in the net. Um, We've come a long way yes. from then, yes. haven't we? <laughs> Indeed. And Lee, I want to ask you about the fact that Newcastle have come so far in such a short space of time because the project has been accelerated. It's going to have to be accelerated in the summer because they're in the Champions League. How does Eddie Howe handle that? Because even he will admit he's so far ahead of where the project was thought of, where it would be this, this, at the end of this season. I just think that the fan base is quite knowledgeable here and... People will know next season going in the Champions League is an, an added test to test of the uh, the squad and the squad rotation, which we haven't had this season. And I think the Champions League, I mean, you go, you go into this, this competition, best competition in the world, best club competition in the world. Uh, we, knew, we know how tough it was the first time we went in. Yeah, we beat Barcelona, but after that, it was very difficult. And then under Bobby, uh, the first three games they lost, managed to scrape through in the next round. Um, but obviously, you know, the top teams caught up with them. And then, obviously, the partisan bell, great game. They got beyond penalties and didn't even make it. We're in the group stages anyway this time. But you're going to have to sign players that uh, can deal with the competition. And uh, obviously, we've done a little piece about Lucas Moura yesterday. Uh, probably didn't go down that well with everyone. Um, but he's the type of player who's got that Champions League experience. Um, not saying they're definitely going to sign him, but uh, he's the type of player who's got a hat rick in a semi-final, I think, in the Champions League. You're going to have to turn to those type of players uh, in this competition. So I think that's probably the calibre they're going to be looking at, someone who fits in the wage structure and has played in this competition. And Kieran, on the point of strengthening the squad, do you think the work has already begun? We, we know that there was three lists that we're kind of working from depending on where they finish now they know where they finish and is I think the phones have been ringing off the hook and Dan Ashworth's been texting whoever to, to get the ball rolling yeah I think it's a bit different from the Ashley times that you know they're planning for this window in January so they plan a window ahead so I think it's a challenge to be embraced really I, I, I get the point that you know we look at West Ham how they've struggled with Europe but the ambition at the top of the club now they'll really want to attack the Champions League they'll want to they won't want this to be a one-off. And we know it's not going to be a one-off. The thing that's different, say, to what happened with Leicester a few years ago, Newcastle can keep their best players, but they can also bring in more players and quality players because, let's be honest, three or four elite players to that squad would make a hell of a difference. You know, that you could have someone coming in at left-back who, you know, can complement Kieran Trippier on the other side, you know, who can offer a similar threat. I mean, it, it, they'll be looking at game-changers. And I think great thing is that they have the backing and the ambition that they are going to attack it. Yeah, and uh, Aaron Newcastle in the Champions League, what does that do for a player as maybe Nobby mentioned, you know, Declan Rice, he's, he's looking to, to go to the next step. The Champions League, is that, that, that should be a big enough draw, shouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, you never hear a player coming out and being interviewed and saying, oh, I really want to play in the Europa League. You know, it's always, I want to play in the Champions League. It's a Wednesday night in Milan or a Thursday night in Minsk, I think there's only really one answer there. So it is, it is, it is just going to be, <laughs> it's going to be transformational. I mean, I think if you're any player 
watching a Newcastle game on Sky and there's been a lot this season and you look out and you see War Flags and what they've done, what Eddie Howe's done, how the fans love the players, I think they'd be quite sold. I think if you add Champions League into that mix, I think it just becomes a full different ball game. Look, they're still going to struggle to sign players like Declan Rice and, and players like that because of the wages and the transfer fees involved, but um, they're certainly now able to mix it with Manchester United and Tottenham and Liverpool, whereas you know years ago it was it was sort of bottom of the barrel scrape and trying to beat or, or trying to sign Hamza Chowdhury from Leicester. So it, it, it's just it's transformational. Yeah. How far we've come from exactly. those days. Exactly. But Birdie, w w the way. The Newcastle United squad have gone about their business this season. The way or what Newcastle United are built on those foundations, you know, the squad unity, the right attitude, running yourself into the ground. Does that make Dan Ashworth's job, Eddie Howe's job, a little bit harder, Steve Nixon's job, to find a player who comes in and doesn't disrupt that? Because when you sign a top-level player, sometimes they do come with a bit of an ego and that might upset that dressing room and, and what we've come to kind of yeah. know of it. Well, even on the football side, it's going to be really hard to replace... The, the team that are functioning so well now. I mean, that's that has been a really top-notch team that have conceded one goal less than Man City defensively. And, um, you know, they, they could, they need a bigger squad, but actually the starting 11, even though you could look at certain players who, you, who have really excelled and wonder if they'll dip, um, they've, they've been absolutely brilliant. So Eddie Howe says it's going to have to be really, and he used, he used the word elite players to replace those guys and, and stand in and, and make an impact on the squad. Um, and we also asked him about managing egos as well um, and how, how that'll change next year when they try and sign um, you know, massive play, uh, big name players. And, and, that's, and he says every player's got an ego. So you know, it doesn't matter. You know, Dan Burns probably got an ego. Bruno's got a big ego. But you still manage them. And if you have a strong, if you have a strong like, group of five players leading the team, it becomes, it becomes not the manager's job. It's actually the players who are bringing it all into line. And I think that's what's happened brilliantly this year. We've, that we've seen they've all pulled together because there's, there's a kind of a no dickheads policy, which is the famous phrase from the All Blacks, um, which, which, which Newcastle have, have got. So, you know, it's going to be really hard replacing, getting players who are going to improve that team. Uh, and it's going to be a struggle because Newcastle don't pay the same wages as Man United and Chelsea. And they're playing, paying double what Newcastle are, 300 grand a week. You know, that's what Declan Rice is probably going to get if he goes to Arsenal. Um, it's, it's huge wages. Newcastle's turnover is still a third um, of, what it, of what the top four, five, six rivals are. So there's loads of work to, even though they've matched them on the pitch, there's loads of work to do off it. They should get around about 100 million extra income next, for next season than they've had this season when you calculate finishing higher, getting in the Champions League, which is 50 to 70 million. Um, you know, the time that's been on telly 30 times, which is another load of 30, 30 times facility fees. So there's loads of extra money washing around the system now and they've just got to spend it well. But they're still way behind financially, the, the, the rivals who are ahead of. Yeah, we're going to talk about the kind of the shirt sponsor and the commercial side in a little bit. But I'm just wondering, Reza, in terms of the look they've had, really, well, it's not look, it's hard work, and finding the likes of Bruno, a top-quality player, scouting him, bringing him in, he's, you know, he's been absolutely brilliant. It's not going to be that easy to, to find another Bruno this summer, is it? Or is it? Well, that's probably what they'll be looking at. I mean, in terms of price bracket, you've got Bruno, Botman, Gordon kind of in that middle section. Then Isak was the the big one, at, uh, upwards of £60 million, um, last summer as, as the record signing. The thing about the transfer policy is that they probably haven't 
got anything wrong so far. And, and you might think that Chris Wood wasn't the best deal for Newcastle. He scored a few goals that kept them up. He scored in a couple of victories this season, one in the, in the League Cup. The winner at, at Tranmere started them off on the road to Wembley. And then they recouped about, was it 15 of the, the 25 that they paid? So um, they have to be good sellers as well. And they were in that case. And, and they moved John Joe Shelby onto Nottingham Forest too. So, you know, when we talk about financial fair play and Simon there about the extra money that will be coming in, the increase in revenues from European qualification, um, they can also add to that by, by selling. Um, I don't think they would want to even consider selling anybody as important to the team as Bruno because you would lose more than you would gain even through the money, even if you reinvested it, which they would. But uh, I just wonder what you think about, about other potential departures and whether it's the time for, for Alan San Maxima to go because for so long, everything was through him and he was the main man. He's still a fantastic talent and loved generally by the supporters. But it's not all about him anymore. There are other stars and they've shown over the last few months and for most of this season, actually, I think he's only started 10 Premier League games that they can do it without him and I think he's probably the one player that would be vulnerable in that respect that they could get a good fee for and that they could sell and and then there's the other question is he the right type of player for Eddie Howe does he do all of the things that Eddie Howe wants him to do um, that would allow allow him to have a place in the squad because at the minute he's not even in the team yeah. well I'll open it up to the floor a show of hands who would sell Alan St Maxman this summer <laughs> I mean, Lee. I mean, just on on St. Maxman. Um, you know, he's not selling them. Um, <laughs> what, what is Alan St. Maxman's future? Because here at the Chronicle, he did win Player of the Season twice in a row. Last year, he didn't. I guess that in a way shows you the kind of how things have changed. Like Razor said, there's not just one man they look to anymore. But you could see him going to a Spurs, perhaps where. You know his full potential is shown. Would would you cash in if the right bid came along? No, I would. I would keep him because I think someone's just mentioned the squad there at the back. Very good point. You're gonna need you're gonna need two 11s next season. The squad's gonna get rotated, and and he's a danger man. I think to be fair, he carried the team when they were the, the wrong end of the table. He probably kept up for a couple of seasons. I think he deserves a crack at the Champions League and. Uh, I think he would step up to it. The bigger the game, the bigger performance he seems to, to bring to the table. And some of the other games where he hasn't quite delivered, well, I take the point about the, the tactics, but I definitely would keep him out. I think he's, uh, he's got another couple of seasons, definitely, at Newcastle. Well done, mate. <laughs> <laughs> <All bad. laughs> there's, um, there's other players, uh, Kieran, whose futures are uncertain, like so Jamal Lewis, uh, Jamal Lascelles, perhaps Matt Ritchie. Um, if they do kind of let's let's focus on Matt Ritchie for instance if he does end up going this summer that takes away a huge boat of experience um, and again that's not something that you can necessarily just replace that easily yeah I think people might be surprised when they see the ultimate squad come the end of the window I think people like Paul Dummett will still be around Mark Gillespie I wouldn't be surprised if he's still around I think both for the Champions League squad they need homegrown players but a lot of these guys know what it means to Newcastle they're very important behind the scenes I think it's about evolution, not revolution again. You know, that if you wipe out that heart of the club in a couple of windows, I think you'd lose so much. And we only see what they do on the match day, but 
you know, in training behind the scenes. These guys are a great support to the staff, and uh, it's hard to put a value on that. I mean, Jamal sells to have the professionalism to not kick up a fuss. You think he's he's barely played in the Premier League. Most of his yellow cards have come as a substitute when he's not even on the pitch, <laughs> doing his bit for the team. Um, I know I know we don't want to get to the stage where we have cheerleaders around the club, but I think these guys do have a role. Um, and if they're valued by this manager, I think they're valued by us. Mm. And I mentioned there in the first half of Nobby that if I'd asked you, Aaron, at the start of last, uh, the last summer transfer window, you know, would, would you potentially see Jacob Murphy not just here but playing an instrumental role, Sean Longstaff, even Miguel Almiron, a lot of people maybe would have at least picked one or two of them and said, actually, no, let, let, let them go, let them go down the road to whoever. But here they are, them three have played such a crucial role in getting Newcastle to the Champions League. I mean, can you quite believe it? And, and what's the reason behind it, do you think? I, I can't quite believe it. I think if you were in a coma for the last 12 months and you woke up and someone said, your cast are in the top four and Jacob Murphy, Sean Longstaff and Dan Byrne are three of the most important players, you'd be thinking, I'm probably still dreaming here. It's, someone made a very good point on Twitter and it's, what's the point of having all this money if Eddie Howe's just going to turn average players into amazing players? And that's what he's doing. He's, he's, <laughs> he's transforming... He's transforming what were once average squad players who we all thought didn't have a future and he's turning them into just fantastic players. He's got a very, very um, you know, good style of man management on the, on the training ground. I think the confidence he must instill in that group is amazing. I think we always sort of joke as a, as a media group that if you ask him about Sven Botman, he'll praise Sven Botman a bit and then he'll talk about, oh, but also Fabian Scher and Lascelles and... Um, Sam Byrne, they're all equally as good. And I think if you're in that dressing room, you must just feel so confident around Eddie Howe. And for me, what's been so good about this season is that, yes, they've made the top four, but they've made top four with homegrown players like Sean Longstaff and, and um, Dan Byrne playing a big part. And I think this season, for me, will always feel as, you know, be one of the special ones because of that. And I think in 10 years' time, in 15 years' time, if they become like a Man City and it's all foreign exports... I think we'll remember this season as being the one where actually the local lads were the, you know, the key part of the team. Yeah, definitely. Again, you mentioned there, Simon, in the first half about some of the criticism and it, you know, it's, it's false that Newcastle have bought their way to the Champions League because yeah. if you look at the stats, the three players with the most appearances are Trippier, Botman and Pope. But after that, each one of them who've got more than 30 appearances this season were all here before Eddie Howe and the takeover. Yeah. And that just puts that criticism to bed, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, th this is why this season has been so enjoyable and so important because um, we're at a stage of the club's development where we think there's loads of money going to be going in and they, they possibly will be able to buy success. That's part of the excitement of the takeover. But at this point, they've only spent pretty much in, in 18 months probably less than what many of their rivals have, including Everton, who got it spectacularly wrong. Man United, they, we're just now spending um, in Chelsea as well, absolutely mad spending spree. Newcastle spent less than all those clubs, and it, this season is not about the money. It's actually absolutely not, and that's one of the things which I'd argue really strongly, is that this is about coaching and togetherness of a squad, and a squad being improved with players, eight people starting who Steve Bruce had and couldn't get a tune out of, but Eddie Howe has, and he's turned them into a top four. Um, it's not about the money, and I think that's one of the messages as a national newspaper journalist that we want to get across to people who are, who are t talking about Newcastle. They haven't bought this, they haven't bought this Champions League. They've, they've done it through proper hard graft and, and kind of the old-fashioned way of improving players.
one, Sam. Um, no, because I can just write it and, <laughs> and say it. And no, one, no one really tells me what to write. So, you know, if my chief sports writer writes that, I will ring him up and tell him, though. So. There we go. I'm going to start with you, Razor, and then we'll come down the panel. Where do you think the, the one position, the priority position, lies for Newcastle? Oh, we didn't like that question. No, because they need, they need six or seven, really, because the goalkeeping group will change. I know Kieran's mentioned Mark Gillespie out of contract could stay, but they've got Carrius. Dubravka wants to be a number one somewhere. He's probably going to play on, on Sunday because Pope's had his, his surgery on his hand. Um, Carl Darlow's at Hull, but he's got to play regular football. So they're going to have to do something there, aren't they? Um, they need a right-sided centre-back. I think they need another left-back. Um, probably most of us, I, I guess, would, would endorse any move for Kieran Tierney at Arsenal. Um, but they've got quite a few left-backs and left-sided defenders in the squad. I think they need two central midfielders and a couple of forwards, so they're seven. Um, one key position, I'd probably say central midfield. Whether that's to free up Bruno so he can, he can play at the right side of the three um, or just another body because we saw this week they were very light in there. And Elliot Anderson came in and, and I thought did well, especially in the first half. He was carrying a knock actually, um, but had to play because of Joe Linton's late withdrawal. With all the extra matches, with three in middle of midfield, then they're going to need more in there. So that would be the position for me. And for you, Lee? Well, I think Eddie Howe, he's, he's alluded to it already. The, the key thing is two 11s. So he's pretty much going to have to... Uh, Sign players in every single position. I don't think you can nail it down um, to, to one positional department. I, I think ideally, once a team he can play uh, in the Premier League and then going into Europe, you want to freshen up with five or six uh, you know, changes in midweek. So, and you, plus, you've got the two cups as well to consider. So, I think it's going to be a really interesting season uh, in terms of uh, Eddie Howe's selection. And um, I think the hard work. Well, probably starts now, but when that transfer window opens on June 14th, um, I think they're going to have to be ready. Kieran, for you, is there a position that, that stands ours? Yeah, I think, like Razor said, that defensive midfield position, I think we forget they've done this without John Joe Shelby. Uh, obviously, letting him go in January was a, was a big gamble. A uh, huge figure uh, behind the scenes and, you know, would have been an option who would have played. He would have actually got a, a few games given the injuries they had. I think... If you could bring someone in, it would allow Bruno to play a little bit further forward, give him a bit more freedom. We know what a goal threat he was last season. Um, for me, that, that, that's a no-brainer. And Aaron, we have a discussion weekly on the Monday show on our podcast. If you don't subscribe, make sure you do. Um, it's a great watch. And often one of the comments is about, you know, we talk about potential players from lower down in the league. You know, your, your Tyler Adams from Leeds or your James Ward-Prowse from Southampton. And a lot of the comments are, you know, you don't want players who are getting relegated, you know, they're not the kind of players Newcastle should be going after, but I think you and I kind of disagree with that point. I don't know what you guys feel in the room if Newcastle were to sign a player that got relegated. Would you, I mean, Nick Pro, for example, worked out all right, didn't it? Yeah? That's true. Well, they, they, you can't look at those players and just because you, you, you go down, it doesn't mean you're a bad player. Yeah, I've got, I've got absolutely no problem with Newcastle signing players that have got relegated. As we've mentioned, Nick Pope was, you know, an absolute steal at 10 million. You look at players from the past, I mean, I'm pretty sure Liverpool signed Andy Robertson and Sadio Mane from teams that went down in Hull and Southampton. So you look at the quality of teams at the bottom of the league this season, your Leicesters, um, even Southampton, Everton, Leeds, if any of those three you know, go down, I think there's at least you know, two or three players from each you'd think 
would do a job for Newcastle next season, whether that's been a starter or whether that's just been a nice bit of depth for when they're you know fighting on four fronts. Because um, they're going to have to look elsewhere than just that elite market, aren't they? Because I think Eddie Howe's already said we're, we're not going to go and spend loads and loads of money. So they are going to have to be looking at free transfers, whether it's, it's Lucas Moura or whether it is maybe someone who has gone down and they can get the market for a bit cheaper. They are, and they're going to have to be careful with the money. But I do think you're moving to the point where at the, at, we've had the takeover and they might want to make a statement. Now, Declan Rice is probably going to go to Arsenal and he's probably his wages are, are too much. But if they want to make a statement and start to buy, buy titles like we've talked about before, you should go for the go for one fantasy signing. I mean, they afforded Isak, and, and having denied that they had any money, and there's no bottomless pit, and we hear all those messages coming out of the club that there's not a lot of money, but I think there probably is for one massive signing, and I think they should just go all out for for Declan Rice. I think he'd be a brilliant addition. I think he's the the best thing that's going to be on the market this year, and make a statement with that. Um, also. I would also not like. I would like Elliot Anderson to become a big part of the team next year as well. He's 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 been homegrown. I think he gets into loads of really good positions. And I think at the minute his teammates don't quite trust him. They just ping the ball in there in a difficult. But he's in a difficult, tricky position just in front of the defence. And I think if he's integrated a bit more, he could be. He could make a real impact as well. Just on that, the, the potential of a, of a of a statement signing. We've seen at other clubs where the owner maybe goes out or he tells a manager he wants this player, wants that player. Chelsea, for example, and the way it's gone there. Yeah. Is the refreshing thing in Newcastle that if the owners are open to making a statement signing, it will be done with the sign-off of Eddie Howe, Steve Nixon? It won't be just a, an owner saying, right, there, oh, no. this is the player I want. I think Eddie, we've asked Eddie Howe about Declan Rice, and he, he, I mean, we thought he would just bat it away and, and, and say no, but he, he said, yes, we want elite signings, and does that mean Declan Rice? Well, of course he's an elite sign. You know, so he, he did, we did the, that story about six weeks ago. Um, he wasn't knocking it back. And if you look at this, there's this really clever fan videos out on come out in uh, after games where you see Graham Jones running on the on the pitch at West Ham and he's got his arm around Declan Rice and someone else comes in and has a, has a little cuddle of him and you think oh they're, they're softening him up there and it, it, it all adds to the kind of debate but you, you do wonder whether at some point they're going to go bang here we are this is what we are in Newcastle and they get someone like Declan Rice it's got to happen at some point well the other person who we've seen a lot of those kind of video clips is James Madison and again today Agent Trippier was I think trending on on Twitter and about Trippier getting in the word of uh, yeah of Madison and I think it happened during the World Cup as well, didn't it? There was a bit of jovial uh, banter about that. Would he be a decent signing for Newcastle, Reza? He's got loads of ability. Would he? Where would he play? That's the question. Where, where do you fit him in? Uh, not just who do you drop, but given their style of play, um, I think he probably gets a bit of a hard time when it comes to physical output and, and questions about his work rate because those who watch Leicester regularly. Um, will say that he does put the effort in and, and he's one of their main men. It's interesting that he was kind of the big target for a while last summer. It didn't happen. Simon's talking about a statement signing. Someone like Declan Rice is probably a, a tier above where James Madison is. Um, he would improve the team, wouldn't he? would improve the squad, but do, do they? can they go bigger? Can they go higher now? There'll be competition for him as well uh, in the summer. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. When I looked at Leicester and that squad, I used to think that Yuri Tielemans would have been perfect for Newcastle. I'm not so sure now because he's he's coming to the end of his contract, but it, it's it's been tough at Leicester, and you shouldn't write him off after a, a difficult few months there. But the one from Leicester that I quite like is Harvey Barnes, who came on the other night and with his energy, 
he's 25, he's their top scorer, he's got 12 goals, so he'll add that. Um, I think he's kind of an, an Eddie Howe type of player. Um, but there'll be a few takers for some of Leicester's main men if, if they don't get a result and the Everton result doesn't go their way on, on Sunday. Yeah, 100%. And, and Lee, what we've seen already with the, the few transfer windows that the owners have had is that there seems to be a list. You know, we saw it with the uh, Hugo Etekier, you know, Chase didn't get him, they went back in, they didn't get him. So it was Van Botman first time around, didn't get him, did get him. Is that, is that something you think they work off? They've got like an ABC list and they, they, it's a small group of players that they like to target and they will target them until the answer is a firm no or they, they go elsewhere? Yeah, I think they, they don't get messed about on the, on the wages. If, if agents uh, get too greedy, then I think you know they leave the room straight away and we, we've seen that with, with several targets already. So, look, I think that they are going to move the wage structure up now. They'll, they'll have to if they're going to give Bruno a new contract. And when it gets to potentially 200,000 a week, um, then I think you're going to see some really interesting deals potentially coming through. So that that's that's one to watch. Um, in terms of just going off what you've mentioned before there, in terms of like the board and Dan Ashworth, I think Eddie Howe is probably the final say on deals, which sounds a bit crazy to say, given he is the manager after all, but we've seen it before, Alan Pardew, pretty much had to put out a Graham Carr 11 uh, during his time. So I think Eddie Howe has made it clear. We asked him directly that question. He said, I want a strong hand in it. And I think he'll get it because, you know, he's earned it because the owners clearly love him. Um, gave him a massive contract last year uh, and, and stick with and stick with the, um, the manager's decisions because if everyone else starts weighing in, then I think you start seeing a sort of a, a, a compromise. But that's just my opinion. And on Dan Ashworth, we know he had a really good reputation at Brighton, so making sure that the pathway was there for the youngsters to come through. They knew if they performed, there was a chance you'd get into the first team. How refreshing is it, Cuban, to have that at Newcastle now when you know, you've got Elliot Anderson there, but then you've got Lewis Miley, you've got Alex Murphy. You know, a lot of them have gone over to Hong Kong for the, for the Sevens tournament. And they know that when they play either over there or when they're playing their games here, the under-23s, often Dan Ashworth and Eddie Howe are on the touchline watching. That must be a huge boost to them to know if I play well enough, I catch the eye, I've got a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all love seeing homegrown players get that chance. Um, I think if we had 25 players who weren't from there, it, it just wouldn't feel like Newcastle United. It's such a big part of the club, the academy. And for years, it's it's been neglected. Not enough good young players are coming through. And I, I think the club is sustainable. They want to go down a sustainable route where... They're not just spending £100 million on a sign-in, that there are good young players that are able to come through. And like, say, Lewis Miley could make his Premier League debut on Sunday at Stamford Bridge. You know, wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, I think Eddie Howe really is conscious of doing that. But it's, it's a real balance this summer on, on Premier League experience. I think in an ideal world, he'd love to bring in more Premier League experience, people who can plug in, like a Madison. But the, the dilemma he faces, you could have someone like Dominic Sabasly at Leipzig, more expensive, but younger, higher ceiling, Champions League experience. Which one do you go for? What does the budget allow? For me, he would be a statement signing, but we're almost quibbling over Madison when a year ago we would have all taken him. He's, he's a fantastic player. And Kieran Aaron makes a, a great point there about the budget. Like, if you sign a player who's worth 70 million, and we've all kind of agreed that you need six, seven players in the summer, you're going to have to be really clever with the other six or seven players, aren't you? 
Yeah, it's a it's a big battle on the hands this summer as to whether they go out and get seven and eight and nine players and really add to that depth, or as Simon said, they go out and say, right, we want to make a real statement. Um, for me, I think I would be going with the former. I think they need to add a lot of depth. I think we saw this season when they went to Chef Wade in the FA Cup and they rested half their team. You know that depth in the Champions League next season probably isn't going to cut it. Um, but Eddie Howe, every time, you know, we've asked him this recently and we say, you know, what is the summer looking like to you? He still insists it's going to be very small, not a lot of changes. He keeps playing down the fact that there's money where, you know, we probably know that there is money if they need it. So, look, I wouldn't like to be Dan Ashworth and Howe because they've got big decisions to make. But as I say, I would like to see six or seven new players brought in, some with Prem experience, maybe a couple of Champions League experience, but also a couple of youngsters as well that you can nurture, you know, that maybe don't cost as much. And Simon, just on, on the youngsters that are already at Newcastle, we've mentioned there the pathway. We've seen uh, Grand Kual up at, uh, in Scotland. It's not gone quite a plan. He did score yesterday against Rangers. Is that somewhere you think they maybe need to improve to ensure that when they are sending these players out on loan, they are actually getting some game time and, and actual experience to aid their development? Well, that's one thing that other clubs do quite well, and it's, it's a bit controversial, but Chelsea had like 40 or 50 players out on loan last year. They have a massive... Well, they win the FA Youth Cup at under-18 level and under-21 level um, virtually every year, and the, the England ranks are packed with Chelsea kids. Um, so I think Newcastle could learn something a bit from that, although you probably don't need to do it to the extent Chelsea have. They, need, they basically need um, a layer of 18 to 23-year-olds which you develop and you, you can buy, you buy in, you pay them quite well, actually. But then, you know, you loan them out and they, then they suddenly get a value of 20 million or 10 million if they do well somewhere in the championship. And then you just kind of recycle the money, which you've, you put a bit into them and you, you make profits. So that's another layer of the club, which they'll, they'll get right eventually over the next three or four years, I think. Yeah, most certainly. And I think Eddie Howe, as maybe already mentioned, has already alluded to the fact that he, he's going to need a big squad, Reza, to... To, to make sure they can handle next year. I mean, it's one thing to build it, but how would you keep everyone happy as well? Because we mentioned there, Alan St. Maxman staying, but if he's not in the first team, do, do people then start to get a little bit grumpy that they're not playing these Champions League nights? Or do you think everyone's just going to be happy to be part of the journey? Well, they'll have more matches next season, won't they? Um, and especially if they, they go on a run in either or both of the domestic cups again. So there'll be more opportunities in theory for players to play. Um, talking about young players, though, and, and Kira mentioned Lewis Miley. Um, they had Harrison Ashby on the bench in, in the late change on Monday that saw Elliot Anderson start. Anderson's still 20. Obviously, Miley is, is just 17. Um, you can have players under the age of 21 outside of your Premier League 25-man squad. So that can help as well. And Simon's right about a layer of, of academy players or under-21s under the first team. Um, a lot of Premier League clubs can do that. Southampton signed a few from Manchester City last summer, didn't they? Including um, Romeo Lavia in midfield, who might well get a big move this summer. And you know he could be someone that, that Newcastle potentially look at because he, he's young, so he wouldn't go in the Premier League squad. It's another body. Um, they're going to need. They're just going to need depth, and it is hard. It is a balancing act. But um, what can happen is what we've seen this season. Who would have thought that until his injury? in the Everton match last month that Sean Longstaff would have played in every Premier League match he didn't start the season in the team he was a substitute got his place held on to it and he's been fantastic so there'll always be players who maybe you don't expect to play a big role Murphy's another Almiron that come through and perhaps surprise you and, and 
others like Sam Maximo, who you would think, well, surely if we're going to do well this season, he's going to play a big part, and and it hasn't been the case. So, um, yeah, that'll be, I'm sure that, yeah, the situation again next season. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, Lee, I just want you to give an insight to our, our guests here about what it's like to cover transfer stories for Newcastle United because it was always busy. But this summer and from now on in, it's going to be even more busy. And you know, you you know, people are going to you're going to see a lot of agent talk about Newcastle being interested and what have you. How difficult is it as a journalist to to kind of sort the the rubbish from the actual truth? Well, I think we get a lot of information from agents who sometimes like to push the players when there is no genuine interest. So you do have to kind of go through that and sort sort it out. I mean, I wouldn't say every single link could be classed as, as rubbish because sometimes a player does get offered to a club or they have watched them. Um, you know, we had a great source who used to give us um, how many times they'd watched a particular player. So there's all, there's many different ways. Um, had a lot of press officers over the years um, kind of take me one side and try and get me to say who the source is. But the truth is, there's probably about 12, 13, 14 sources. And it's not just one person leaking the information. That's almost like a ridiculous idea. But um, there's certainly people that have been within the club who do give you some information, which is, uh, is always helpful because then you know that the story is definitely correct and you can go and write it. And um, it's nice to be first. You're not going to be first every time no, I don't think any journalist has got a 100% record on transfers I, I don't believe that but um, it is nice when um, you do get one because uh, that's kind of the bread and butter for a journalist you know, I guess what's refreshing in many ways is you know Eddie Howe was grounded but also when your Castle United fans are very grounded you know as soon as the takeover happened it was Mbappe it was Neymar from people who probably had never stepped step foot in St James's Park who are you talking about there? Simon uh, Jordan? I wasn't going to mention any names <laughs> Thanks, Kieran. Um, but yes, you know, everyone is grounded. I don't think anyone in this room is realistically expecting an AMR or an Mbappe. And that's just refreshing that we, we talk about why Newcastle have done so well. It's everyone's pulling in the same direction. I think that applies also to the expectations off the pitch of the fans, to what the club can achieve in, in the market as well as actually on the pitch. Yeah, and they, they prove they can get bloody great players who aren't you know, world famous. Look at Isaac, look at Botman, look at Bruno. How many of us had watched them before they joined Newcastle? Show of hands, not many. Um, I think they don't need, they, they've learned from the Man City model. You know, they went out, they got Rubinho. Yeah, loads of headlines, but that was not a successful signing for them. They learned a lot of lessons, Man City, from that. And I think when the owners first came in, a lot of people forgot that there was a lot of talk, oh, they're gonna, gonna go crazy, they're gonna go wild. They've been very process-driven, and I think that's been at the heart of the success. You know, going for Eddie Howe when the Unai Emery deal fell through, you know, they, they stayed calm. They got a manager who's a builder. They've been very, you know, sustainably patient, slow steps. Um, I, as I say, this summer, I don't think it's just going to rock it. I think they're going to keep doing what they're doing. There are players there that I still think can improve more. Joe Linton, year on year, has been remarkable. Look at someone like Anthony Gordon, it's easy to forget they signed him in January. Imagine him with a full Eddie Howe pre-season. He's going to be a big player for the club as well. Yeah, Fingers crossed. And just on the topic of, of, of critics and, and, and national pundits, Aaron, 
you know, there's been obviously a, a lot of focus on Newcastle, and we've mentioned there previously about the accusations of Newcastle buying the Premier League, and you know, people writing them off saying they're not going to maintain a top four push. That's really helped Eddie Howe kind of push this uh, United against the world kind of uh, element within the dressing room. Yeah, I think that has certainly helped national pundits and, and journalists who probably, as you say, haven't stepped foot in St James's Park, writing them off, saying they're going to do this when they're not. And also, I think what has really spurred the team on this season is how wound up the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool and all these teams have been getting by, you know, their, their time wasting or their game management or whatever you want to call it. Um, there's a real feeling in that dressing room that it is them against the world and that's just how they want it, you know. I think that's how Eddie Howe likes it. They always want to be sort of, you know, playing with something to fight for. They don't want it to get too easy. And, um, yeah, I would just say that a lot of these critics and pundits, as I say, they've got headlines to write and newspapers to sell and they probably don't know the ins and outs in Newcastle like us fine journalists do. <laughs> yes, you should come up and do a bit more research. Um, Simon, I just want to have a word on the owners. I mean, it's it, they definitely could not have predicted how it's gone so far. Um, they were on the pitch at half-time, which I thought was a little bit risky. Had Leicester grabbed the goal, that could have come back to bite them in the backside. But um, it's now a big summer for them as well because obviously they've got this ambition. They've now got to kind of follow it up and back Eddie Howe and make sure there is a squad there that can fight on all fronts. Uh, true, but I think from what, what we see of... I mean, the figurehead of the club is Amanda Staveley, and from from what we hear, she she's a very people people oriented person. I think she um, she likes to say yes to everything that she's asked for, and I think sometimes it doesn't get delivered as quickly as people want. Um, but she does. I mean, they haven't put much of a foot wrong, to be to be honest. In the last was it 19 months, they've they've got a lot right, more more right than people who. I mean, there, there were in the in that first month, there was a bit of a scattergun approach about appointing the new manager they didn't quite get it right first time and there was a lot of criticism coming their way saying they're you know they were a bit clueless and they were, they were asking stupid questions which real football people should know the answer to and that kind of thing but it seems to have settled and it's it, they've got Eddie Howe in charge guiding them and she went up to Eddie Howe on the pitch after that and it's during the celebration straight after the match give him a big hug and said thank you so much and I think that kind of indicates how much they kind of lean on, they can lean on him for their advice they've not put a foot wrong they've not the saudi thing keeps bubbling under um my argument is you know yes there's criticisms to be made of the saudi regime but um you know why you can't continue telling those criticisms through the lightning rod of newcastle united um if there are things going wrong in saudi arabia get on the government about it get onto other people or businesses about it so just don't tell it all through Newcastle United. It's not Newcastle United's fault, not the fans of Newcastle United's fault that it's owned by Saudi Arabia. They just want to have a good time and support their club. Um, so that'll, that'll bubble along and be controversial in Europe next year. I think you'll see protests from Champions League fans that Newcastle come up against and that'll be an issue. But in terms of running the club, they've been really cautious, really sensible and it's, it's all working so far. There'll be difficult times, but they've done really well. On the criticism, one thing that might make it bubble that little bit uh, hotter is the, the the topic of a shirt sponsor, Razor. It's believed to be, I think it's Celsa, you, you pronounce it as. I mean, first of all, the importance of getting more revenue on the shirt sponsor, it, it's massive for Newcastle, isn't it? Yeah, well, we've touched on it, haven't we? Financial fair play and an increase in revenues into the club. 
um, which they can command now because they are a more attractive proposition and they'll probably they've already been quite a few sponsorship deals announced and quite a few with with links to Saudi Arabia the the noon um, which is on the sleeve of, uh, of your shirt the green and white one at the front yeah that's that's obviously I think that's like a Saudi Arabian Amazon equivalent isn't it um, and and there were quite a few more and the club's been out um, out to Saudi Arabia a few times and uh, signed a few deals but um, you might see other uh, involvement in terms of sponsorship in Newcastle that's not just related to Saudi Arabia um, because of the profile of the club that's growing. There's, all, there's this thing about associated party transactions which I think is the right language to use because of, uh, of the connection to the um, potential probable shirt sponsor for next season. Um, their links to, to PIF and, and to Saudi Arabia and it has to be deemed fair market value uh, those rules have come in, in in recent times in the Premier League so it's got to get through all of that um, but Newcastle United one figure that kept coming up didn't it during um, the the more difficult times of, of the previous ownership was the commercial revenue and how it was pretty much static for 10 to 15 years and they were on a level playing field with Spurs until 2007 and Spurs just went it just exploded it was so huge and Newcastle's didn't so they've had to really grow the club and they're going to have to keep growing it in all in all areas uh, and just one more point I want to make you talked about the owners and how they've, they've got so much right one thing they've got now which they didn't have before the takeover is football expertise in key positions because prior to the takeover, they had Lee Charnley as the only director, and he'd been around the club a long time, knew, knew Newcastle United inside out. But but it obviously, we, there was um, people close to Mike Ashley, or one in particular, that would be around. But then that was it. And and that, that, that was not comparable with other Premier League clubs at boardroom level. Now they've got a board of directors, they've got a sporting director, they have a head of recruitment. They've got a new commercial uh, chief officer. They've got a, a new CEO. They've got these key people who know football, who know the football industry in these positions. And that, off the pitch, has, has led to the growth and the improvements as well. And that is so important to Newcastle because the word sustainable was mentioned earlier. And that's something that Dan Ashworth talked about and Darren Eels earlier in the season, that they want success, but it has to be sustainable. But they seem to have made the right appointments off the field in those key positions too. Razor makes a good point there, Lee. That they're not just appointments. You know, they're some of the best actual people in those roles. You know, Dan Ashworth would have been at the top of many people's list because of the work he did at Brighton and England beforehand. Darren Eels for what he did over in the States and, and, and Peter Silverstone as well at Arsenal. You know, these people have proven they can do it and, and have done it really well. And they have gone after the best and they've got them. Can I just say that at the moment, is anyone trying to avoid Man United Chelsea score? Oh, so there's a few. What is the score? There's been a few more goals. Two. It's 4-0 four, it's to Manchester United. So that's bad, that's bad news for third place. We can still get it on Sunday, but they need a favour from, from Fulham and, and a result at Chelsea. Thanks they? for bringing the mood down, Razor. Sorry. <laughs> I don't think we, do, we, do we care if we finish third or fourth? <laughs> there we go, there we go. No. Uh, the yeah, the question was about them appointing not just key positions, but the best people in those positions. Yeah, I mean, they've gone out and got some of the very best I mean the, the crazy thing is that Eddie Howe wasn't the first choice but he's you know he's turned turned out to be 
a, a brilliant option because he's probably brought uh, Champions League football um, here when I, I don't think some of the candidates that were linked with originally would have, would have been able to do that. So I, I think it's great that they've got that kind of attitude where they do want the best. I mean, you look around the football club and every department is, is shaping up now. Um, the academy's looking good. I mean, the real test next season will be if Newcastle accept their invitation into the UEFA Youth League because this is a under-21 team that struggled. It's, it's under-19s for the UEFA competition, but they're going to be going in there with potentially an Ajax or a Dortmund, and um, I, you know I think it's going to be a real test for them and uh, one that um, you know they need to to get moving quickly with the academy because um, they've got some tough games coming up. Certainly have, and and staying. Uh, well, <laughs> did they get beat seven nil off, seven one off Sunderland at one point this this season? I mean, so I think because of the neglect that came before at the academy, Middlesbrough and Sunderland academies are like streets ahead of Newcastle. So this is a, a huge issue, and it, it's all right losing your local games, but when you're going in against Ajax or Dortmund or Barca or Real Madrid, then you know it could it could get really severe. So. I just think that that's an area of the club that really needs to sort of knuckle down and, you know, produce some, some talent quickly. Yeah, and we're using Dan Ashworth's knowledge and experience in there. And they've already started the same players, as you mentioned, the likes of Alex Murphy and a few others. So it'll be interesting how they get on. Um, stopping with off the field, Kieran, one of the big subjects that people always want to talk about is stadium expansion because it's very difficult to get a ticket these days. Um, the good news is, you know, they've got the land back just outside there, so it's looking likely at some point they will expand, but that's not going to be an easy job and it's probably not going to be a quick job either. No, I, I think it's just refreshing to know that they want to exhaust every possible avenue to stay at St. James' Park, because I think everyone in this room would ideally like to do that. I mean, it's, 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 it's where Newcastle United have been their whole history. It's in the heart of the city. I mean, they're... What other club has that? Every time a visiting fan comes up here, they tell you about how they can just walk into any pub. Not so much welcomed in, but you know they can actually walk <laughs> in. You go anywhere else in the country, you, you can't do that as a, as a visiting Geordie. So I think it's so unique, so special, and so refreshing that you know the people actually recognize that because we've had owners who didn't understand the power of the fan base before. I mean, if the past 18 months have taught Mike Ashley anything, it's like, why? Why didn't you just put a little bit of love in this club and look how far it takes you? It's, it's incredible. But yeah, yeah. Sorry to bring him up, by the way. <laughs> Won't bring up Steve Bruce, don't worry. Um, you know, so <laughs> so, it, it, Aaron Keever makes an, an excellent point there. Do you think the likes of Amanda Stavely, Midag Gadusi, Jamie Rubin, who's got an excellent left peg, hasn't he? You know, what we saw at half time. And uh, the chairman as well. Do you think they've been going to sign him up, get part of the squad? Do you think they've been caught, caught a little off guard about the emotion of the place? And, and I mean, we saw Amanda on the pitch at full time with tears in her eyes and what have you. She's definitely got caught up in it all. Do you think the rest of them have as well? Uh, yeah, certainly. I think, I think for how long it took Amanda Stavery especially to get a hand on this club, so many failed attempts, I think it'll mean a lot for her. I think every time you hear her interviewed, every time you speak to her, she always goes on about how she can't, sort of understand the gravity of how you know supportive this fan base are how much they love the football 
I've seen some very, very bizarre criticism of her from, again, sort of the, the national pundits who say that she's inauthentic and, you know, she, it's all sort of for show. But I, I watched her give Graham Jones about a 90-second hug the other day and, and you could tell that it was, you know, all genuine. She generally has a really close relationship with the players and the staff. They've done a lot of work behind the scenes to bring the living wage up for the staff who work in Shearer's Bar and uh, on a match day. I just think like Eddie Howe as well, I think if you didn't know, you would think they were Geordies because they've bought into what the ethos is of Newcastle United. Um, and as Simon touched on earlier, they, they've got pretty much everything right at every level so far. Yeah, I think if you've seen some of the photographs from Monday, uh, our photographer Ian Buist took an absolutely brilliant one of Amanda Stavely talking to Nick Pope after full time, and she's just like, I think she's got her hands over her eyes, hasn't she? She can't quite believe what Nick had to do to, to get that point. Um, what, I'm going to come out and we're going to, I'm going to ask you guys for some questions. But before I do that, just a quick, uh, we'll, we'll go around the panel one final time. Um, Birdie, I'm going to come to you first and after your moments of the season. Oh my God. There's been so many where we've just stu half stood up in the press box and we've gone, what? <laughs> How was that? And I think probably, um, what was it? F F Spurs? Spurs at October. Five nil. Six, six, up six after one. how many minutes? Yeah. 25 minutes? That was just jaw-dropping and fantastic and, and fantasy land. It was brilliant. Uh, for you, Razor, what's the kind of the, the game-changer moment of the season? Maybe it's a result, maybe it's a, a goal. What's, what was the moment where you saw the season kind of turn? I've just done a, just done a piece for, the, for our build-up programme on Sunday, uh, which starts at 3.30, by the way, um, an hour before kick-off. Um, and I, it's basically a season review, and I'm, I'm trying to keep it to five minutes. It's ten minutes, and I, you can't put everything in, and that's the difficulty. You don't know what to leave out because most of it has been brilliant. So many good things. Kira mentioned the Spurs match away in mid to late October. That was when I started to think, well, actually something's something's happening here not that i didn't believe it wasn't possible but that was the moment the realization hit me when they beat spurs and they beat them comfortably as well they didn't even threaten to come back did they when kane scored um just after half time in terms of a moment of the season um obviously dan burn against leicester was was just it took the roof off the ground but but sean longstaff's first goal in the semi-final second leg because Southampton weren't great uh, and we've had a terrible season I think that's when we knew that we were going to Wembley and that was just that was just special and for another Geordie to do it as well was really meaningful yeah yeah um Lee, I'm going to come to you for the goal of the season again so many to choose from but is the one that stands out well I think um given that I tweeted that Jacob Murphy's goal was goal of the decade against Spurs then <laughs> I'll probably have to say that. Yeah, we didn't even get on goal of the month, like you know. But, but um, yeah, for me, that that was a quality strike. I mean, it's against the French goalkeeper, captain, and he doesn't even move. And uh, I was so pleased for Jacob Murphy because he's had a couple of attempts at goal coming off the post. And uh, yeah, that for me was just it just got the party started that day. Yeah, I think maybe he heard Ando, and Ando wasn't shouting, "Put it in!" After that, was he? <laughs> Well, he just that's what he does now. He just puts it in the net, so he took the advice on board. Well, on that, let's just have a quick word on Jacob Murphy's shithouse. We'll, we'll, we'll be honest, and we'll call it that. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he, Kieran? I mean, there was a moment against Leicester when uh, very late on in Newcastle get a free kick after a bit of pressure. I think it was just after Nick Pope's save, actually. Kieran Trippier has got the ball, and Jacob Murphy turns to the ball boy, and he's 
gets him to throw another ball on the pitch and just think that's exactly what you need. But he's, he has, he's become a kind of a, a legend just for that in itself. Yeah, I think he's like the, the definition of a cult hero now. I, I mean, when fans kind of realised he'd signed a six-year deal at the time, I think people would be like, whoa, that's a long contract for someone. Had he really properly earned it? And I think he's, he's just proved he belongs here. You see how much it means to him. As you said earlier, we, we all saw the interview after the game the other night. He's, he had a, a twinkle in his eye, and I know that expression gets used a lot, but his eyes were actually gleaming, and I think he's... You can imagine what he'd be like around the place. He's such a big personality, but I think he's not just about that now. You're, you're seeing what he does, what he does off the ball, pressing. Um, that goal against Spurs will live long in the memory. I think he's added so much to his game and worked so hard at it. And like so many players, I think he's at the age where he can push on again next season. He'll be so desperate to be part of the journey going forward. Well, fingers crossed. I was going to ask you for your most improved player. Does he fit that bill, or maybe? Miguel Almiro, no. I mean, there could yeah. be so many again. You, you, you could pick probably 11, couldn't you? Yeah, I, I think I'd go with him. I think it's it's something I never saw coming. I think with someone like Joe Linton, you knew if he was used right, he had something. I don't think we saw him having what he has now, but someone like Murphy, uh, he's in, very inconsistent. Look at him now. He, he does such a good job for the team when he plays. And Aaron, finally, player of the season. You knew it was coming. I knew it was coming, and it's the hardest question to answer. Um, Oh, there's, there's so many to mention. I think you've got to give honorable mentions to Pope for you know being having the best defensive record. Trippier has been unbelievable. I might not get the cheers, but Sean Longstaff for me has been so good. Um, but but for me, I think Joel Linton. Joel Linton is just especially because where he's came from and and his start at Newcastle and just the fact that he can do it all now. He can dribble. He can tackle. He can. You know, start a fight if he wants to. He's just he's he's the man. So I think I would have to just give it to Julian. We'll give it to Julian. I'm going to come onto the floor now. There, so we've got about five minutes for some questions. If you can keep them clean, and uh, don't be offensive. If you put your hand up, I'll come round. Come over here. I don't know if I want to give it. For a long time now, the top six teams have fight fighted for four spots. When the takeover went through, I think there was a bit of worry. After this season, how much worry do you think there is in the traditional top six now that we could really upset that? Uh, we'll go to we'll go to Birdie. Oh, I think they're they're terrified. <laughs> no, they are. We're, they're dead worried. I mean, look how Chelsea have collapsed this uh, this year, which is fantastic to see. Um, uh, and you know, that that's why I think when the takeover happened, the, the Premier League started to tweak their rules. And you mentioned what was the phrase you used before the um, about the contracts where a related party transactions. So Saudis can't just bung money into Newcastle indirectly like they kind of did at Man City, who have 115 charges facing them uh, financially wise. Just to mention that. Um, I think Newcastle will avoid all that. But I, you know, the, the top six have, have been rattled, and I think Aston Villa have shown this year they can. They can mix it as well. So you're probably looking, you know, to finish in the top half of the Premier League now, you've got to be a really top-notch team. Um, and I hope more teams can kind of kind of keep rattling that. You, we don't want this to become, I mean, Man City have got four five, four titles out of five now. And I think it's in danger of becoming, the Premier League of becoming a, a one-club league in terms of who wins it. And I think we need that to be kind of shaken up as well in terms of who's actually going to win it. So in, including Newcastle as well being up there. There's no doubt that those teams at the top 
would have felt straight away threatened by the prospect of a resurgent Newcastle. And, and, that, and that is what we've seen this season because, as Simon says, they've, they've shaken it up. Brighton are in there on merit because they've been fantastic. Um, didn't beat Newcastle uh, somehow, especially away from home earlier in the season. But haven't they been, been really, re really refreshing to see that Aston Villa in the mix and even Brentford and Fulham for a time? But also the teams at the bottom didn't want to lose a relegation rival, a contender, to go down because it, it made their task of staying up possibly harder. So at both ends, Newcastle improving and being given a, a, new, a new life through the takeover was, was a problem for, for all their um, other Premier League teams. Certainly so. Um, and okay. Just a question for Simon. Delaney and Holt are always against the tune, right? Who are? Delaney and Holt. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah Miguel Delaney and Oliver Holt. Yes, I. And Hall, right. Oliver Holt. They're always... If Holt's on about golf, Newcastle will get a mention. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you not fancy chinning them? <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> um, could I chin Oliver Holt? Mm, I don't know. But I know both of them. And, uh, I mean, I know you, you get... Newcastle fans get riled by these things being mentioned all the time. And that's the price on the ticket when you become a contender. If you're not a contender and you're down in the bottom half, no one really cares about Newcastle. Now, Newcastle's getting written about because they're part of the elite. Um, I think they make sometimes they make valid points about Saudi ownership and it's, and, and it's right now and then when it's, when it's topical to, um, to kind of raise the, the problems with the regime and what, what they do. I mean, a journalist got murdered by the regime, according to the CIA. Pretty appalling. Um, you know, planes were sequestered into the PIF to fly hit squads to Turkey. That's pretty terrible stuff. It's okay journalists write, writing that. Um, but like I said before, I think just um, kind of trashing Newcastle on the back of controversies in Saudi Arabia because they're owned by the nation is, is not the right thing to do um, because there are other ways and there are other means to, to protest that. You know, uh, Oliver Holt's a great sportswriter. I used to work on the Mirror, actually, um, and so, so is Miguel. And, but I, you know, they, do, they do mention it a lot, <laughs> um, but they also do mention Manchester City's um, charges against them a lot. And as I was explaining to the gentleman in the corner before if there's a if there's a weakness or a point of controversy in an owner it will be it will be wheeled out a lot um, and you've just got to get used to it it's an issue don't get defensive about it it's not your fault it's not your fault that Saudi Arabia own the club you're going to be the beneficiaries of it probably so you're going to be more favorable to to what's going on um, but just don't I, I would say don't Newcastle fans shouldn't be, get paranoid about this issue being thrown at them about the Saudi ownership it is an issue, it's discussed but I, at the minute I don't think the club have, have kind of made it a sports washing project, I actually don't think the Saudi Arabian government have used it to sports wash their reputation at all I, 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 the, the white strip is you know, reminiscent of the Saudi, Saudi strip is kind of the, the nearest thing they've come to creating a link um, Yasser Al Ramayan on the pitch the other day with his Newcastle jacket all striped. That's kind of creeping towards major figures from Saudi Arabia exploiting the glory of Newcastle and you know being lauded. Um, but at the minute, they've not. It's, there's not. I don't think there's that kind of like link between Saudi Arabia state and 
exploiting Newcastle being the success. So I just don't think it's happening at the minute. Maybe just it will in the future. We're just at the back here. Um, so does the panel and the room... And so current James Madison hasn't had that much good form since the World Cup. Would you still take him as a player next season? Go with you firstly. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and it's a difficult one to answer uh, because he is, he is a good player and that, that, that is still going to be there. So for me, I would take him, yeah. But I think one little test of his attitude the other night was he got dropped and he was absolutely furious about it. And for me, that was a, that was a positive sign because had he just shrugged his shoulders and had a laugh about it, then I would have been questioning his attitude. But he was absolutely furious had a word with their, their manager, uh, Dean Smith, and I think he's, um, he's hungry for success, and it looks like he's going to leave. Uh, it's, it's whether he, he comes here or not. Kieran, just quickly, would you? Yeah, answer? I think he'd give them something different. He, he's, he'd unlock something. He, he's something they don't have, really. Um, a lot of pace and power in that team, but uh, James Madison, he, he's, he's got a real brain as well. So, yeah, 100%. Aaron? Yeah, I think there's, there's one slight negative for me and Razor's touching it is where you fit him in in this system. But I think on the whole, fantastic player. He's an England international for a reason. He's you know carried this Leicester team for a number of years. And if they go down on Sunday, I think you probably get him for a bit of a cut price. So yeah, I'd, I'd be in favour of it. Beardy? James Madison. Yeah, James Madison. Um, I don't know if he's dynamic enough and fitness-wise to be an Eddie Howe player. Um, I'm not quite sure he fits in with the system. Where's that? You've already said this, the system's the issue. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. You need you need the ability to do something different and to change it at times. But you can't just leave a player like that on the bench in the event that you're chasing a match. I'm not sure. Maybe the money could be better spent elsewhere. But he is he's a very very good player. Any other questions for our panel? Come on to you over there. Give me a second to hobble over. Um, a player that doesn't get a mention, uh, Karan Karol um, from Australia. Um, I know he's been quite quiet for Hearts, um, but uh, the other day he scored against Rangers to uh, make it 2-2. Would you give him a chance um, for next season? Yeah, I watched that last night, um, the 2-2 draw, and delighted to see him get the goal um, and have, you know, that moment, he, he probably hasn't had a great stint with hearts, but that moment could carry so much from next season. We've seen Eddie Howe have Eddie Anderson around this season, and he hasn't played as much as he would like, but he's still, I think he's had 25 appearances in total, whether they've been two minutes, three minutes, whatever, and he's had that experience. And um, I would love to see him get a similar type of opportunity, because if you're going to send these players away on loan, and they're just sitting there, they don't even get used which which has happened with it with a couple of them then i just think it's a complete waste of time and you're going to learn more being around top-notch players and especially again mentioning the uh uefa youth league next season he could play in that as well so there's, there's opportunities for him here yeah we'll give him a chance yeah uh, i've got a question here at the back from um so a lot has been made about whether it should be callum wilson and isaac up front <coughs> as the as the front two would you persevere with that, or would you rather have someone else come in and join Callum? Oof, good question. Um, I'm not so sure long-term if 
Isaac on the left works. I don't know if you're getting the absolute best of him, but can you drop Callum Wilson right now? 18 goals, top scorer, not since Shearer have we had someone score that many goals in the Premier League. So, <sighs> tough one, tough one. Yeah, I, I think I think Isaac's the future, but they're they're almost going to have to persevere with this experiment to keep them both happy because uh, neither of them wants to be on the bench either. Aaron, would you stick with with them too in the in the starting eleven? Um, I, I agree with Kieran. I think Isaac's probably better long term down the middle. I think he's he's done okay out left. He's got tremendous feet. He can take players on out wide. But I think he was signed as you know to be a striker. And Callum Wilson, while he's been fantastic this season, probably only has a couple of years left um, in him. I think yeah, long term. I think Isaac's the man going forward. I guess an additional question to that, Simon, is because uh, I think they do need another striker to come in, but what type of striker do they need? Uh, I, a good one. <laughs> Harry Kane would be all right, yeah, along with Declan Rice. Yeah, That's good. That's job done. <laughs> uh, Ivan Tony, if, are you putting a bet on that? Um, I think Isaac's the future centre-forward of Newcastle United, and I think there'll be enough games next year for... Callum Wilson to start there. I think the team looked much more dangerous when they had an, a weapon on the bench, like whether it was Isak to come on or Callum Wilson to come on after 60 minutes to, to do that. I think I'd rather be a centre-forward playing half an hour at the end of a game and scoring a goal than, than, than slogging away you know, 90 minutes on, on, out of position. So um, I think Isak's the future, basically. You might get more out of Callum Wilson longer term. Yeah. Take your point, Aaron, about his, about his age if you have other striking options because of his, his ongoing fitness issues. Now, he's looked pretty pretty sharp and in great condition recently. I think he's got 11 goals in 11 appearances. But um, with extra matches next season, you've got that option of playing Isak instead of. Wilson can come in for some games. But I agree with you, they need another forward. Um, maybe they need someone who can be... They might look for a younger player, a bit you know, like um, Hugo Ekitike last year, although I'm not sure whether they'll, they'll revisit that. But player that I'm quite interested in, I haven't seen enough of him, and I'm looking forward to watching him on Saturday, is um, someone that would have been at, at Brighton, I'm sure would have crossed paths, paths with Dan Ashworth, is, is the Coventry striker, Victor Jokerez, who scored loads of goals this season. Now, it would be a big step up into a Champions League team, but if you look at where they will direct their spending in the summer, they've got two forwards there. If they're looking for somebody else who might not expect to start every week and play, that could be an option, but he's had a really good season, and I think someone like that, if not him, could be the right sort of profile. Interesting. So, to come. Any final questions? I mean, that's the final one. Grant? Uh, two fringe players you didn't talk about were both right backs, Mankio and, uh, and Kraft. Do you, do you think either of them have got any future at the club? I think Kraft had a very good spell at the end of the season last year under, under Howe. Yeah, I, th I think um, Javi Mankio, he's been a very good servant. He's, he's you know, filled in. He's been with them through the, the bad times. I think it's probably the end for him. I think there'll probably be a lot of suitors back in Spain for him. Emil Kraft, I feel a bit sorry for because, as you say, he did fantastic to fill in for Kieran Trippier last season. A really bad ACL injury in September, which has ruled him out for the entire season. I think next year... They obviously signed Harrison Aspie in January to sort of be Trippier's backup for whatever reason. You know, he hasn't really played. Um, I think Kraft will certainly be kept round and, and play his backup with so many games next year. 
Yeah, Lee, what, what, what's your reply to that? Well, I'll give you a little story about Mankio that uh, I haven't actually written yet, but uh, I asked him for an interview the other night. Um, was it Brighton or Leicester? I can't remember. But uh, he, I, I, I said, look, you're going to stop. He, he hasn't actually done an interview since, he, since he's been at the club, which is a while. And um, he just smiled and he went, next season? And then I said, will you be here next season? And then he just stormed off. So read into that what you will. I would say he's probably going to continue walking, and I'm not going to get that interview. And um, <laughs> Emil Kraft, I think he'll be back stronger in pre-season. I think he'll be a squad player, and I think he'll, be, he'll get minutes definitely because um, Trippier will need a rest at some point, as brilliant as he is. Um, and I think Kraft's got a really good attitude. He's a sort of club player. I thought Missouri was going to go off then again, which uh, it did in the press conference the other day, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> That's good. Fooled uh, Eddie Howe, but yeah, I would say Kraft stays man kill goals. And what the question I want to ask you guys, we'll start with you, Q, and just give our guests here a little bit of insight to what it's like to be in an Eddie Howe press conference, because you guys are lucky enough to, to, to do that. Oh, it's hilarious. Well, we'll start with Bob, we'll start <laughs> See, I read an article somewhere, I don't know where... Was it in the Athletic? I don't know. I can't remember. It said he was bored. Eddie Howe was boring, and I was just like, I, I don't get that at all because like I, I think he's like, he's, he's. If there was a player in the dressing room that used to play the pranks, I reckon Eddie Howe would have been that man at, at Bournemouth. They got the funniest moment out of Eddie Howe when Eddie Howe was blanking him on questions about the Champions League, and Eddie Howe said, "You're just trying to get a quote out of me, Lee," and Lee went. Well, it is a press conference. <laughs> For you, Kieran, what's it like being in the room with Eddie Howe? Uh, yeah, he's so measured and polished, almost infuriatingly so. You know, you, you want to get something tasty off what Ten Hag has said or Jurgen Klopp trying to wind him up, and he's so cool and composed. And actually, as, as annoying as that can be for a reporter, I think it's brilliant for the club because... It's an emotional club, it's an emotional city, and whether they, and the fans, and they win, lose, or draw, he's so level. And I think the players have really taken that mentality as well, and I think that's actually been really important this season. But there was a nice moment against Leicester when he was over in the corner. Graham Jones went over first and, you know, fist pumped the air. But then Eddie Howe did it as well. And we haven't seen that from him too many times this season. He got a bit wound up by Klopp on the, on the touchline, but it's very rare. And I think that gives you a little bit of an insight into, into maybe the, the pressure he puts himself under to keep contained oh he, he puts himself under too much pressure really and Simon alluded to earlier there will be no next month when the players go off on holiday there will be no line on the beach Freddie Howe will be watching games from the season will be planning next season um, he always jokes with us that he's going to go home and celebrate with a cup of tea and a biscuit and re-watching the game and yeah he, we very rarely see him sort of lose his composure he, he lost it a little bit celebrating the goal at Brighton the other night and came into the press conference after and just said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. He just doesn't give anything away. And, you know, I wasn't fortunate enough to be at the Chronicle when um, Steve Bruce was in charge. And I bet it was a... <laughs> I bet, though, I, I will say one thing. I will say one thing. I bet Kieran and Lee would go to those press conferences and come, come away with a lot of lines, whereas Eddie Howe... You know, there's no how's the bacon did you say or anything like that. He's, um, <laughs> the highlights really yeah. Steve Bruce slagging me off, so... <laughs> I, I think he's, he's relaxed. I think when he first started, he was quite tense and the scale of the media 
spotlight on the club was hugely different from from Bournemouth. But but because they've been winning and he's seeing the same faces every week, he's definitely relaxed through the season and he's quite quite a funny guy now and he has a bit more rapport with us. Um, and he's uh, and I think the actually one of the one of the, we we wondered whether Eddie Howe. Earlier on, early on, was a big enough name for Newcastle to la- launch this Saudi revolution at Newcastle, etc. That theory is, is being debunked because he has actually started to stand up for his club and take on other managers. Now that wasn't Eddie Howe's style, and probably not isn't naturally his style. But he's had a, he's had a little pop at usually from Kieran's very nicely put questions. He slips them in in his lovely Irish accent, and and he, he's very good at getting a little controversial line out of Eddie. I don't know if he's going to notice that. And there you have it. That's the end of the episode. There was a little bit more, uh, but uh, it appears that my recording equipment ran out of room. So I do apologise for that. But it was only about five minutes more and the lads discussed whether Eddie Howe was worthy of the Manager of the Year accolade. So it's fallen quite nicely because, as it has transpired, Pep Guardiola won it. So it's a relevant question on this podcast. But to you guys, thank you very much for tuning in as always. Please leave a rating and review. Share the podcast if you enjoyed it as well. And we'll see you very soon.